0: Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the four star podcast. So for today, we're going to do our review of the markets as we normally do. And then an update on the economy. And then what we see out there, no special interview today. But we'll be back with interviews very shortly. So uh, let's get started. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. Uh, I, um, I'm Brian Castle, your founder and CEO of Four Star, and here with Mr. Christopher Reardon.
1: Hi, hi everyone out there. Um, happy to be here.
0: And Chris is our Four Star Director of Development. I call him Master of All Things Portfolio Trading Reports. Loves his Cleveland Indians, and he's the caretaker of his golden doodle puppy Hudson. As uh, uh, how's Hudson doing?
1: Hudson's doing well. He's loving the, uh, he's got a big fur coat, so he's liking the cooler weather now.
0: Yeah, so we went from 100 degrees to 50 degrees in one week, right? Here we are. And again, I'm Brian Castle, I'm the founder of C- CEO of 4 Star, and I'm an Eagle Scout, the trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation. And chief dad to Quinn and Evan and husband to the amazing Tripti. So um, if you like what you're hearing, we just want to remind you guys, please tell your friends. They can sign up on our website and they can also give us a five out of five ranking. Don't give us any other rankings other than a five, please. Uh, But uh, anyway, we'd love to have more and more listeners and the the listener base is growing nicely. We're becoming one of the, the largest financial podcasts in the industry. So um, let's, uh, Chris. Let's get started with uh, we'll talk about the market. So as far as like the tug of war between asset classes, you know, fixed income, cash, stocks. Where where do we stand now?
1: Yeah. So we're starting to see some actually interesting movement here. Uh, domestic equities. I think it was going on a couple of weeks ago now. And finally overtook for the number one spot. Uh, for those of uh, listeners that weren't here the last couple weeks, and so we have. Now, 250 tally scores. It actually gained 19 tally points from the last podcast, which is pretty incredible. So it continues that upwards trend, uh, which I think would surprise a lot of people. The market's obviously been a little volatile the last couple of weeks, but the um, from an asset allocation perspective, it continued upwards. Uh, on the flip side, fixed income is in the number two position. It actually lost eight points uh, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it's at 218. So we continue to see a divergence there. And going back, I would say even a month ago now we were talking about domestic trying to overtake fixed income mm-hmm. and now you guys can just tell how quickly it overtook it and how that gap is now growing between the number one and now number two asset classes. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough cash, which is the number three, uh, lost 12 tally points. Went so down. continuing yeah. weakness from cash um, in that number three spot. Uh, and then rounding out the bottom three, we have currencies, which lost six points from the last podcast. So we continue to see weakness there as well. Uh, commodities which was equal in the fifth position and international equities which gained only one point Mm -hmm. so a lot of the major movement is really still in the top three Um, you could even say four with currencies there where we're seeing major major movement um, and a lot of the upward movement is really from domestic equities.
0: Yes, and, and it seems like everything's everything's consolidating into U.S. equities as far as like the trends. Uh, but I also noticed here, Chris, that none of the six asset classes is below 100. Usually we have one below 100. So everything's starting to move a little bit, and certain things are going down, uh, like currencies and cash. So those are the riskless investments at some level, right? Cash, and then of course, currencies meaning not US dollar, other currencies, right?
1: Yeah, and there's certainly a lot. I think right now, um, and it makes sense with the pandemic going on, from an asset allocation perspective, they're trying to kind of, there's a figuring out of what the order is gonna be, Mm -hmm. you know, afterwards. And I think, usually, I think for the first, even like four years of four star, currencies was almost always in last position. It was that one that was always in the 60s and 70s, um and now it's kind of moved upwards a little bit but it doesn't really know so i think that it, there's really kind of it's, a, it's an interesting period because we're trying to figure out um you know what's what's going to be happening i think going for the next year two years three years going forward
0: and yeah, we're seeing we saw a good move in commodities but then it's kind of stalled out here like gold is stalled Chris. Yep, right? yep,
1: gold stalled out uh we saw we talked about this going in i think end of july august july was a big move upwards uh, for gold but then it's really stalled out mm-hmm. um, over the last couple of weeks um, whether it will continue or not um, we don't know I mean I, there's a lot of speculation that it's just going to stall out for the next couple months and then continue that upward trend uh, but honestly no one knows. Uh, commodities is really stalled out due to that gold and then um, oil. Oil we've seen kind of stall out as well. Right so we're at a three month low for crude right? Yep yeah and a lot of that that three month low for crude oil is due to uh, Continued decrease in demand, actually, the U.S. crude um, inventories unexpectedly grew in August, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people were projecting it to actually, you know, come down and it grew. And then OPEC. So you still have that. OPEC still a player in this market. And you still have this standoff in in these um, oil producing countries over in the Middle East. Uh, You still have this standoff going on where oil uh, prices continue to go down, but none of the countries want to cut production unless they all agree on it uh, because they don't want to lose market share. Mm -hmm. So until there's enough of a pullback in oil prices to cause them to go back to the table and whether to renegotiate uh, a cut or something, uh, they're going to continue to, you know, keep production up. So we have this kind of offset right now where we have a decrease in demand and they continue to supply at the level we're at. So Mm -hmm. um, while that continues, we'd probably predict to see prices either stay the same or if not, weaken a little bit more.
0: Yes. So it's interesting. Uh, We're seeing this consolidation into U.S. We're also seeing consolidation into technology. Healthcare was hot before, but technology has really been the story recently. So everything's kind of going in one direction. And we've seen this uh, movie before, haven't we? Uh, With the tech stocks in 2000 and 2001, where uh, everything collapsed after, uh, actually it was 95 through 99 when the tech stocks took off. So, well, folks, it had to happen. Uh, The techs went parabolic uh of the last month or so uh with uh, stocks up 15 20 percent in a day tesla was the story stock apple salesforce amazon nvidia everything spiking up and peloton yep had a big move right chris
1: yeah yeah and uh, you know most of these stocks it makes sense and we talked about this on this conceptually right we're in a pandemic environment uh, tech is kind of a safe play right they can yeah. still operate in this you know mm-hmm. a lot of these tech companies have flourished amazon mm-hmm peloton has been uh, their earnings came out i think it was yesterday i think they had their earnings and they tripled i want to say they tripled their earnings they from a year ago so i mean some companies are really benefiting and obviously they're benefiting from this uh, working out at home movement as people don't want to go to gyms for either having to wear a mask at a gym or just don't feel comfortable in a gym so a lot of people are purchasing these bikes purchasing their streaming program thing um, so there's a, lot, you know, there's a lot of companies that are benefiting from, from what's going on currently.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, to talk about what happened you know, in the 2000 to 2002 period, by the summer of 2002, when the markets finally bottomed, uh, we saw the tech sector, which was so, so hot in uh, 98 and 99 specifically, uh, then popped badly. And mm-hmm. po- folks that owned, uh, there was an in Munder um, Mutual Funds out of Michigan had a fund called the NetNet Fund that was all tech. And I think that was down 90% from the high, which is March of 2000. And the index, the tech sector was down 70%. So a lot of people got really, really slaughtered. So will tech stops go down? You know, yeah, at some point, right? But now we're starting to hear those comments like, I'll never buy anything but tech again. And I remember when folks said, I'll never buy another dividend stock again and stuff like that. We're, we're actually hearing comments like that now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's scary in that sense, but it's not scary if you know what's going to happen, you know how to take care of it, right? Yep. So growth is very expensive right now, but that doesn't mean it's going to end anytime soon. We could still see another year or two of this before it's over, or it could begin correcting now, Maybe maybe the last three, last Thursday and Friday. And then of course, We had the three-day weekend, so Tuesday was the new Monday, essentially, right? So Tuesday got whacked as well. For all the people who didn't do anything Thursday and Friday, heard about it and got scared over the weekend, those are the guys that came in on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then we had a rally Wednesday, rally Thursday, rally today. So the market seems to be recovering better, but um, growth is still very expensive here. Uh, and once again, the value stocks, the dividend stocks, the old old school industrials and auto companies, they're all really cheap, except for Tesla, of course. Uh, so if you look at where are the markets cheap and what you might want to shift into, the cheapest area still seems to be emerging markets. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of markets out there that are really, really cheap. The growth obviously isn't as good as it was because of the pandemic. But the emerging markets, when they start to spike growth-wise and the rest of the economy is stronger, like the American economy is stronger, they'll grow a lot faster than the American economy, right? Mm -hmm. So then those stocks should run at some point. Next up would be essentially Europe. Europe is still pretty cheap. And then we see like Warren Buffett buying a lot of Japanese stocks. Japan is cheaper than the U.S. So the U.S. is becoming, you know, clearly the most expensive stock market in the world. That doesn't mean it's going
1: to end anytime soon
0: but it it is what it is.
1: Yeah, and a lot of these are predictions off of, I mean, emerging markets is a great example. You know, there's a reason, obviously these are getting, you know, whacked a lot harder. People are, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of value in them now is because, you know, people are making predictions off of the current pandemic and, emerging market companies tech usually get hit a little bit harder but you know if you're if you're a long-term investor you think long-term eventually this is going to go away eventually this is going to be a thing of the past and when those happen like Brian said these are going to take off you know we're going to have these resume that that trend upwards. maybe it'll take a year or two for them to get back on track but it's going to happen so you know, there's definitely um, going to be a switch. Value is definitely not dead, um, although we are seeing in the short term, especially from a financial perspective, we're seeing growth have a tremendous run up right now.
0: Yes, for sure. And, and we're starting to hear some of those same comments like we heard back during the tech boom in, in 1999 uh, when, and during a period of time where the market cap weighted indexes are doing significantly better than most investors. So there's this uh, divide between market cap weighted indexes and equal weighting indexes. And the reason why we talk about this is all of the indexes that you might look at, S&P 500, NASDAQ, even the Dow Jones, they're market cap weighted indexes. And that's just the way they designed them. But in, investors don't buy stocks like in the distorted percentages of an index. They generally buy them in equal weighting. You know, you you know, you take $100,000 and you buy 10 stocks, 10000 each or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we think and that's how investors, use. we don't like overweight, you know, the top tech stocks because the index is. and We don't even know what's in the mm-hmm. index in many cases, percentage-wise. So we're starting to see that happen again. And, and uh, the most distorted we've ever seen it was the year of 1999 when the NASDAQ index, which is the tech-laden index, was up over 80% that year. But if you did the equal weighted version of that same index, it was only up 2%. It's incredible. So it's an incredible divergence. Same stocks, just different allocations, right? So we're seeing people now that are seeing really good performance in their portfolio, and the NASDAQ-related stocks are up 30 35%. Meanwhile, the Dow is still down for the year. Uh, The Russell 1000, which is also a dividend stock group, is down. Small cap stocks, all the small companies, there's more small companies than large companies, they're still down for the Mm -hmm. year, right? And the S&P 500 is up only a couple of percent, but that tech stocks are up 30. So we're starting to see a wide gulf between performance of indexes, and and that's exactly what we saw in the tech boom in, in 1998, 1999. So, um, you know, a lot of the same signs and never always plays out exactly the same way because there's different characteristics. We're now coming out of a pandemic. We put 40 million people out of work and all these other things which weren't going on back then. We also have a stronger banking system than we had back then as well. So so it's never exactly the same. But nonetheless, uh, there's a lot of parallels to it. So. Um, Do we abandon our strategy? Like, let's say you have funds in a 401k that have value-oriented or small cap. Um, If you really want to perform right now and you're going to watch it closely and then shift around, and and we do that as portfolio managers, but do all investors do that for their long-term 401k? Probably not. Would they even recognize what those funds are? You would know, have to kind of dig into it because they sometimes have names that people don't understand. A value fund could be a growth fund. It could be named value. So they, they have yep. a lot of these kind of shrouded uh, names on these different funds. But, um, you know, if you have a long-term strategy, you probably should stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe if you have a little bit of the tech-oriented stuff, you'll get some good performance out of that. But you don't abandon your long-term strategy just because the market goes on a, on a wild bender for a year.
1: <laughs> so, well, uh, we're, we're seeing a similar, uh, it's a great parallel, I think, right now to that the dot-com bubble, um, you know, late 90s, because we're seeing the similar ideas come up. It's, you know, the, the dot-com bubble, everyone had to be in tech stocks because they thought the, the Internet was so new, it was going to revolutionize everything. If you're not on the Internet, then you're sure. dead you know that that's the future and, and I think right now it's a same idea but a little different it's you know with the pandemic going on well you, you got to be in these stocks because these stocks can continue to operate we even a lot of companies are working remote these are what's gonna work but you know what we've seen and we saw in the dot-com bubble is you know things tend to revert back to the mean I would say so mm-hmm. um, you hear that a lot in finance and I think when you have this large Prediction in one direction, it's usually an overprediction, and usually it ends up coming back one way or the other. And it could be a you know a slow trudge back downwards. It could be a quick trudge, um, and then you tend to see these value stocks that were being undervalued tend to kind of move back upwards. So we'll mm-hmm. probably see you know them kind of meet in the middle at some point. Like Brian said, it might be a year from now. It might be two years from now. We don't know.
0: Well, just for the record, folks, there's uh, uh, measurements of growth versus value in all the indexes. The Russell 1000 has a growth index and a value index, and they break up all the other indexes that way. And so they have long-term measurements on what, what wins, growth or value. So growth gets all the victory laps. We're watching Peloton or Amazon and all these things go up, and that's really exciting. It's really, really fun. But just for the record, folks, value actually over time has beaten growth. Well, you can say, well, how can that happen? Because value is sitting there doing nothing right now. Well, it it will happen. It will probably happen again. The value stocks often have good dividends. One of the na- one of the aspects of a mature company is that you know they have actual cash flow instead of just earnings coming out. You can't fake cash flow. You either pay the cash or you don't. And so, generally, companies are pretty healthy when they pay dividends. So that's why a lot of investors like the Wisdom Tree funds, which is a fund family that we use for our dividend and growth and income portfolios. They focus mostly on the cash dividends. So they're, of course, those kind of funds would lag right now because it's not exciting, it's not growth, it's not tech, it's not Peloton and all that stuff. But that's all short term trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, Long term, you know, the good, good cash dividends, good value names generally do outperform. And all the studies show that. So um, if you want to have some fun with growth stocks here, you can make some money. Be careful. Uh, and we do that. We, we definitely torque it up as well in some of the portfolios, depending on the risk profile of the client. But be careful. Value has beaten growth over time. We don't think that relationship is going to change. Um, but right now it doesn't look that way, right? In the short run, it's like the
1: tortoise and the hare, right? <clears throat> right. You know, totally. The tortoise, it's just the values are just a slow, stead, steadily trudge upwards, and the hare likes to go up, down, left, right, you know, all over the
0: place. And the tortoise usually wins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So back to the, let's talk about the economy a little bit, Chris. We
1: had a really good jobs number, right? Yep. Uh, the unemployment, so uh, jobs number came out for August, and it dropped the unemployment rate, The U, what, U4, U5? U3. or U3, sorry. The U3 number to 8.4%, uh, and that's coming down from 10.2%, uh, which was the July number, um, down from really the high of close to 15%, 15% which is right. pretty positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the new jobs number was better than expected. They expected 1.32 million new jobs. They came in just under 1.4, 1.38. So that's all, that's all good. And then, Chris, you've got some numbers on consumer prices, right, and GDP. Yeah,
1: yeah so consumer <laughs> prices came out. They rose a seasonally adjusted 0.4%. So to put that in kind of more layman's terms, things got on generally 0.4% more expensive uh, year mm-hmm. over year. Um, and that was the third straight month of gains for consumer price index, uh, the U.S. consumer price index. What does that mean? Um, where, where I think where it really impacts, possibly impacts us is it's it's really a good gauge or measure of inflation that's mm-hmm. kind of happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're seeing now, it, it is moving upwards slightly, but really not at a, at a horrible rate right now. Yeah. Uh, where concern could happen is if that starts really to take off. Mm-hmm. If we see inflation take off. Um, what that's going to do is it's going to restrict what the Federal Reserve can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that happens, that's when we could see you know things start to maybe get worse. Uh, so it's definitely something to watch. And The Federal Reserve watches this like a hawk because this is something that they are very keen to. Um, we really haven't seen much movement yet, but we are seeing slight increases there, nothing to be concerned about. Uh, and then the, the uh, debt to GDP number that came out. So obviously this year uh, with kind of the Q2, late Q1 and Q3 numbers that came out for or that are going to be coming out for, for GDP, we're going to see a major dip in our gross domestic product. Um, and on the contrary to that, with the battling we've been doing with the pandemic, and we've had—it's um, been out there—we've had, um, you know, several intru- in infusions of cash. We've had uh, stimuluses and all that stuff. Uh, we've had a major increase in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, and actually starting in October, really the first time we'll start a fiscal year with over a hundred percent debt to GDP ratio. So that means we'll have more debt on the books. Than what the U.S. economy produces in a year. Yes. Um, and which is which is you know it's a big deal. There's only a handful of countries uh, that have over 100% debt to GDP, and you know those are the likes of Greece, Italy, Japan, which we had just talked about. So it's not necessarily a, a good place to be in. Um, we would hope that we we've seen this. Uh, Brian and I were talking last time we really saw something close to this was in World War II. Yes. We got to ninety-eight percent, um, and obviously you can parlay. They were these are extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is just us operating at you know normal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but after World War II, what we did is we paid that down, which is mm-hmm. the the responsible thing to do. <clears throat> you would hope that we would do that, but I don't foresee that, at least in the short to near term, that the government's going to try to pay the debt down as they should.
0: Well, I would hope that they do, and and there was a little uh, fiscal responsibility uh, that set into Congress in the, in the 50s and the 60s, and so they did pay down some of that debt, but you know, governments now don't seem to want to do that. Um, we're now getting into territory where we're becoming one of the more indebted countries. We're the largest debtor country now. Our economy is the largest in the world as well. But also as a percentage of that economy, our debt is really high. So it's it, it's getting a little scary, and I think it's not not at uh, not at currency collapse levels yet. But uh, you know, if they don't do something in the next decade or so, uh, we could have some serious trouble in America. It could could really affect our economy. So uh, governments are just not into cutting. It seems nowadays they just want to spend and spend and spend. Plus, what we didn't have back in the in the World War II era. Uh, we didn't have a lot of government pensions where there's automatic contractual obligations of the government to pay big pensions. We had, now have unions that came in as well. so it's going to be harder and harder to make those cuts unless we do some drastic measures here. And so Arizona finally was mani- able to manage their pension debt and be able to reduce uh, the obligations. But you know states like Illinois haven't, uh, you know California's off the rails completely. Illinois is off the rails. You know, while governments, you know, don't cut, you know, individual companies do, individuals, we cut our own spending uh, when we have trouble, but governments don't seem to do that anymore. They just keep spending and spending, and like, pff, part of it's political, or they don't want to go after, you know, the, the, the pensions and the salaries of their of their uh, workers that yeah. work for them, you know, certainly. Their certain, voter base. Their voter base, which is a tough thing, so there's too many conflicts of interest there, really. Uh, so hopefully they design... If they wanna design a program that can kill business and kill the economy, they have certainly done it by allowing governments to get locked into these long-term pension programs and things like that. So we're hoping that governments get a a new religion about how to manage debt and how to reduce spending because they haven't really done much of that at all. We've heard certain states say they're gonna cut. Uh, The mayor of Chicago is announcing there's gonna be big cuts. Well, there have to be big cuts and they don't have the revenue. Um, and they're they're also threatening tax increases. You don't want to raise taxes in a, a terrible economy like this. That's the wrong thing to do, but they tend to just keep doing things like that, so they're talking about it now, and uh, hopefully they don't raise taxes and they actually do the right thing and make spending cuts. That's, mm-hmm. that's the right thing to do long-term. Um, so anyway, that's our discussion about that. <laughs> we're at the to be resolved, we don't know where that's going to go. True, uh, but anyway, one of the other things. Let's move on to what we see out there. One of the one of the questions we're getting a lot from investors is, you know, it's election season now after Labor Day, and you know, Biden's now out of the basement, running around here and there from time mm-hmm. to time. Of course, Trump is nonstop; he keeps speaking at at. Uh, you know, at uh, air, air, airport hangars all across the country, that's his new thing apparently. Airport hangar rallies, but um, you know, we're we're hearing from people that are worried. They think if if Trump is still president, he built this economy, then maybe he'll make it work. And some people obviously don't like Trump, but now they're saying, well, if Biden gets elected, you know, we should be worried. The party's over, and the market's going to collapse. And and I would I would make the argument that. Uh, it all really depends on what the leaders do at that time, so President Trump could get reelected and not have a cooperative legislature, and maybe he won 't be able to get as much done as he wants to get done. Uh, president isn't a king, and they can't you know uh, create policy in an overlord basis. They can do executive orders, but executive orders time out they can't it's not permanent they have to mm-hmm. actually get legislature to go along with them likewise if if uh, president uh, maybe future there's a future President Biden, um, he can't necessarily raise taxes right away. He's got to have a legislature that goes along with him. So um, the other thing that could happen is if one side gets elected and they espouse policies that are negative for the economy, the markets could react, right? But then if they go too far with it, then they'll get run out of office the next cycle. Because remember Congress comes up every two years, this, the third of the Senate rolls over every two years as well. So it happened to uh, President Clinton in, 19, in 1994 where the Republicans took Congress because he seemed to overplay his hand. Happened to Bush in, in, uh, after his sixth year. Uh, happened to Obama after his second year as well. So if the, if the political leaders go too far with their policies and the and the public thinks it's detrimental. They may throw the bums out, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not the president, but they'll throw out the their party in the legislature. So so um, it's not an exclusive thing. If Biden gets elected, the market isn't necessarily going to collapse because of that. It's what they do when they're in, and that's that's a you know that's a a question. It's an open question. We don't know. And just because Trump were to get reelected doesn't mean the economy is going to be better.
1: Yeah, and I think the other whoever gets elected is going to have a hard time really doing anything in the first couple years of their presidency because there's still a lot of cleanup from this pandemic um, and still fighting it and stuff so you know no whoever gets in office i think is they're not going to be able to just jump right to what their agenda is there's going to have to be probably about a two year delay and even then we're going to like we're going to have another midterm elections with the um, the congress so it, there's a lot of variability there and i think people tend to think in extremes and that's what that's the problem is people yeah. think one guy good one guy bad and if one guy gets in then the market's going to tank and you know you, it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. I mean, we, we don't really know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, I think either way, it's not going to be as extreme as people think.
0: Well, and even in the fall of 2008, for example, President Obama was elected, but it took until March of 2010 until they finally signed the um, Obamacare bill, yeah, right? right? And they had the control of both legislatures. So um, again, it's not a fait accompli. If Trump gets reelected, that the economy is going to be great. And if if Biden gets elected, the economy is going to be terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That isn't necessarily (laughs) the case. So we just want to cover that. Uh, It's what they do when they're in office that matters. Uh, Another question we're getting a lot about is the volatility index or the famous the VIX and they call it the fear index because. The volatility index is mostly related to down markets when the markets are panicking. And there's certainly volatility in panic, panic down markets, right? So that's why they call it the fear index. But now the volatility index is above 20. It's actually at 27, which is a pretty high reading. And in some real volatile markets, it gets up to you know 50, 60, 70. I've seen it in the 80s right at the bottom of bad markets, for example. But if the markets are going higher, why is the volatility index above 20? Yeah, it cuts both ways. Right, it can cut both ways, right? So we're in this wild market with technology stocks exploding, and that's volatility too. It's just volatility on the upside. (laughs) So we're seeing the VIX above 20 for a substantial period of time now. And just for the record, folks, the tech boom in 1996 to 2000, the the tech stocks caused the volatility index to be above 20 for most of that period of time. So does that mean that we're nearing the end of the market? Are we going to have a market crash or or anything like that? No, this isn't necessarily a signal, but not to worry. But that's the reason why the volatility index is up so high. Volatility can be high on the upside, too. And that's what we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly if we have another market crash like we did in kind of March, April, definitely the VIX would probably go up, right? Because that's usually what it measures. But it also
1: measures volatility and speculation on the upside, and we're seeing a lot of that right now. Yeah, we had a, um, an advisor of ours in our office whose client wanted to buy a um, VIX ETF product. You know, they have all these products out there. And, and uh, he purchased it, and I was kind of talking with him about it, and we looked it up, and one day mm-hmm. the market was up massively one day, and he thought that this VIX would be, his product would be down, and lo and behold, it was up like 5% and we were kind of, he was kind of perplexed, his client was especially, because his client thought that this was, everyone correlates it with this down movement. fear index. Fear, and and, um, people forget it's also to the upside as well. It's not just, you know, downside.
0: Well, another reason why the stock markets might be going up besides the fact that there aren't a lot of alternatives, and we talked about this in the past on podcasts that a trader would say that money follows the line of least resistance. So we've got a pile of money here and somebody it's got to go somewhere. So if you put it in a money money market in a bank you're going to make next to zero, right? So that's not exciting. If you buy some bonds you will get maybe 1% or you know the 30-year bond is 1.4, so you're not going to get much yield there. So maybe you could buy into real estate or other things, you know, that so we're seeing inf- price inflation in those areas, but as far as financial assets it seems like the line of least resistance is the stock market right now because companies are still paying some pretty good dividends more than certainly than what bonds are paying so if the if the interest rates start to go back up at some point and let's say the bond average kind of 10-year bond gets to 7 percent well then the stock market would have a lot of competition but if you can get more money in a dividend in stock than you can get in a bond right now and then maybe the stock will go up well, why wouldn't you buy a stock? And that's kind of the rationale. Now, all, all the actors in the system make those individual decisions, but they're all based on what they see out there. They may not even be articulating it in the way that I've described it, mm-hmm. but that's kind of where the thought process we all go through, right? CDs are point two boring, 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 right? Let's buy this stock out here. It might be going up. Things are hot, of course, until you get burned in, in individual <laughs> stock, right? The, the, other, the other thing is that... Over the last 30 years, we haven't seen a lot of, lot of new stock issuance. We talked on a recent podcast that we're just starting now to see an IPO boom. And this could be an IPO boom for the, uh, the best boom, you know, the best year ever actually for IPOs. But it still doesn't take the place of the fact that the last 15 years there haven't been as many IPOs. So the supply of available stock that is out there in the uh, active exchanges in America is roughly about half what it was 30 years ago plus the available capital our capital base has grown just through the growth of the economy about four times what it was 30 years ago mm. so if there's less stock and a lot more money that's another reason stock prices are going up right just a natural thing money chases prices prices go up right? yep
1: and we had a lot of companies um, that did we talked about this I want to say six months ago or you know maybe even a year ago actually now uh, as I'm thinking about it that we're doing uh, stock buybacks and that was a big thing big thing really big thing so that also lessens the supply out there for the general public.
0: Absolutely. So that that's it for the talking about the stock market. We do want to just mention a little bit about financial plans today. So the four star firm goes through two periods of se- periods of time in the year where we call it review season. So we review usually after the first half and then after the year end second half and for the full year. So we're just finishing the review season for the first half of 2020. And so clearly it was a very volatile, very bizarre first half with the pandemic and all the things that have gone on. The good news is that the markets have, have had a V-shaped recovery, and no one thought it would happen, including me. I didn't think it was going to happen quite that way either. But just the whole dynamic of cash out there and lack of alternatives and everything else has caused the market to go back up. But the economy has not been a V-shaped recovery, uh, but that's, that's what the stock market certainly has. So as we've gone through review season with most of our, our client families, almost all, in fact, all of only in one case, and it's unrelated to the market, um... We've had uh, all financial plans on track to meet their goals, right? So you wouldn't think that with the volatility and the crazy things that have gone on. But most investors who had a good plan coming into the pandemic still have a good plan. The plan is still working. Asset failures are where they need to be. But there are some folks, not many clients of ours, but some folks who have lost their jobs and that kind of thing. And so those folks are in big trouble and they need to get their job back and that's a big issue. So when you're in those kinds of situations, if you would normally do things like take Social Security sooner because you don't have enough income, there's other things you can do. Um, You can do 401k withdrawals if you have a 401k and use some of those funds in the short run so you don't have to take Social Security early. You're better off waiting to 66, 67. You could refinance mortgages and a lot of our folks have done that. If you have a mortgage above 4% at this point, you probably could bring that down into the low threes uh, every once in a while, we see some written in the in the high twos uh, in the last month or so. So refinancing mortgages, lowering your costs. Uh, folks also can open up home equity lines of credit uh, or reverse mortgages to to create income streams, so they don't have to tap into their low um low income social security at sixty two and wait till the numbers go much higher at age sixty six or sixty seven or even seventy right so so if you can hold off for a little while that'd be a good thing to do but um, the most important thing for investors is to look at their financial plan make sure they're on track if you don't have a tracking system to do it you gotta develop something because you need to know where you stand uh, a, a period of time like we went through could destroy a lot of financial plans and we saw this in the crash of 2000 to 2002, a lot of people that retired just before then ended up having to go back to work. Same thing in 2008, 2009. The retirees in 2006 and seven saw you know their equities crash by 50% in 2008, and they weren't ready for it. So you know the old joke is you end up being a Walmart reader or something like that when you didn't plan on it, right? Uh, or you end up living in your kid's basement. That's the other uh, financial planning joke. Uh, sadly, we've seen that happen to some investors over the years. So, so you got to be prepared and make sure that you have a good financial plan that you track it. Our job as financial advisors and money managers is to try to minimize the downside damage. And we talked about it on previous podcasts. We've done that pretty well, where we rotate out of the market and we have our, our four star protection plan. Um, but a lot of people don't have that, uh, and, but they could still manage through that if they don't have, uh, that protection plan. So anyway, um, I think that's all, all we want to talk about today, Chris, yeah. right? Yeah, I right?
1: think that that covers it. Uh, okay. We're getting into fall now, so uh, days are getting a little shorter.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, folks, um, you know, it's a really interesting world out there. Uh, just to close out, uh, don't forget that uh, we are looking for folks to give us good rankings if you like what we're saying, uh, and also uh, n- remind your folks and friends to subscribe to the podcast and. Uh, you can access it on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Uh, and we still are, are still holding out for Antarctica. So we'll see if we can get somebody to listen to us from Antarctica. Four Star has a great team of advisors uh, who access all the models and research and the work that we do and the things we talk about in the podcast. So if you want to access an advisor, call us 312-667-1755 or go on our website and fill out your contact information. We'd be happy to help. Uh, So uh, on closing, on behalf of Laura, Chris and Chris in our home office, Brian, Tucker and Karen in our East Coast operations, we will sign off until our next podcast.